Let me be, begin asking you to make sure you have a piece of paper in your hand. Maybe it's your bulletin. Maybe it's your growth guide. Make sure you have something to write with. And some of you, I go, yeah, I know you're like, I'm not going to write anything down. At least think on this. Let me ask you a question. Are you a Christian? And let me define it this way. Are you a Christian, which means I believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I've submitted my life to his lordship in my life? I want you to think about that. On that piece of paper, I want you to write, yes, I know I'm a Christian. You may write, no, I'm not a Christian. You may write, I'm not really sure. It's okay. I want to start with that question because that question is so important to what we're going to talk about today because our messages that we are in right now are are written and they are geared towards those who are Christians. Matter of fact, most of the times when I preach, I preach towards that mindset because I believe the church gathers together to hear from the Word of God. And sometimes there are those in, in our attendance who are searching or they're not sure and they're trying to investigate But this Sunday gathering, I believe, is gathered primarily towards Christians that gather to hear the Word of God, to be encouraged and to be challenged and go out and live that. And so it's so important that we know, or or you know, because I'm not going to have you you testify and tell me yes, no, where I'm at, but for you to know where am I at? Am I a Christian? Because that's what this message is written towards. Now, if you're not a Christian or you're on that journey, we're glad you're here. Because you get a chance to investigate, you get a chance to hear, you get a chance to understand what, what the role of a Christian is, one of our responsibilities. Last week, we started on this journey as a church, which is building the foundation for us as we ask the question, what's next? Last week, I said, we're asking that question right now, the next six, seven weeks, and as we go in the next several months of, of this year, we go through the summer, we're going to ask God, God, what's next for Centerpoint Christian Church? That's a good question for us to ask. It's a good question to ask in your own life. It's a good question to ask if you're in business. It's a good question for the church to ask. We're asking that question thinking forward to the fall as we look at our 15th birthday that comes this November. We're saying, God, what's next? Where do you want us to go over the next two to three years? What kind of ministries do you want us to tackle? How do you want us to go in the community? How do we function best as a church, God, a church that you look down of and you say, I'm proud of Centerpoint Christian church. And so we're asking the question, what's next? But in order to do that and answer that question, we don't want to do what's next by what Brian thinks or by what somebody in the church thinks or what some elders think. We want to go by what the Bible says. You agree with me on that? That's a good thing, right? And so as we ask what's next, we want to lay the foundation right now in this series by looking at how did Jesus live his life? What was his passions? What, what were his priorities? What was his purpose? And we hold Jesus up as the standard and say, well, that's what Jesus did. And if that's how Jesus lived his life, and if Jesus is our model, and Jesus is our Lord, because if, he's a, if we're a Christian, he's Lord. That means he's master. That means he's in charge of the way we live our life. And so we look at him and we say, if that's what Jesus did, then, then we as a church and we as individuals want to do what he did. And so it's good for us to start with a biblical basis. We had our elders and our next step team spend 50 days. They just concluded the 50 days this week looking at exactly what we're looking at as a church now, just going through and going, what did Jesus do? How did Jesus live? And now in our growth groups, we're asking the same question. We're taking our guides. We're going home. We're studying. We're saying, what was he passionate about? What was his purpose? What was his priorities? And so last week, we tackled the kingdom of God. 
Now, in one week trying to tackle the kingdom of God, there are college classes written just on the kingdom of God, and you spend a semester or more just studying the kingdom of God, and we covered it in one week. So, in other words, we barely touched the hem of the garment, so to speak. We barely got to it, but we dove into it, and we looked at what's Jesus' view about the kingdom of God, and our growth group studied that, and they opened up and looked at several scriptures, and one of the questions in the growth guide was, as a growth group, now take the study of your scriptures and try to summarize that down to one simple short sentence. So take the kingdom of God that's all over the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. Can you bring it down to one simple sentence? And here's some of the replies I received this week. One group said the kingdom of God is built on the loving, merciful, and forgiving attitude of God's people as evidenced by their commitment to the hands and feet of Christ and a lost world. Man, that's a good definition. I love that statement. It's very accurate as you study the Bible. Another group said, the kingdom of God is our partnership with the triune God to win souls, help to mature Christians, and walk as Jesus walked. Another good definition is someone kind of summarized, said, listen, we're going to work with the Trinity of God. We're going to work with them to what? To win people to Christ, help people grow in Christ, and we're going to Try to walk as Jesus walked. Another group said the kingdom of God is a fellowship of believers living in obedience to God. Pretty simple. I like that statement. It's real short. It kind of brings everything all together. The kingdom of God is the reign of God over the fulfillment of his plan to redeem mankind, be in the present, and his reign over heaven for eternity. And so they captured in the kingdom of God here on earth and also the kingdom of heaven that God also reigns over. And so these groups, as they just dive into the Word of God, came up with this study and came up with their own simple statement of the kingdom of God. And all four of those statements capture the kingdom of God in a very different essence. See, Jesus had a very high view on the kingdom of God. It was so important to him because he knew that he was part of establishing that kingdom And if we're going to do all that God has for us to do, church, individually and as a church body, then we must have a high view of the kingdom of God. We we must try to understand it more. We must try to understand what does God want in his kingdom? How do we function with his kingdom? And so now we move into this whole kingdom of God idea. Well, how do we start to function within this kingdom of God? And so today, I want us to look at Jesus the evangelist. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 4. I want us to look at... How did Jesus view people, and how did he take his message of redemption and hope to them? What did he do to carry that word? Because that's what evangelism is. Evangelism is us having a certain view of people. How do we view them? And then how do we carry the message of God, the message of hope, the message of redemption to this world? And as Christians, this is our responsibility. This is what we're supposed to be doing. So John chapter 4, verse 5. Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon, hottest part of the day, exhausted. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So there Jesus sits by the well by himself. Disciples are gone. And Jesus, the hottest part of the day, he's worn out. He's exhausted. And he says, hey, can you give me something to drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? 
For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So in other words, hey, you're kind of from the other side of the tracks. You live in a good city, I'm in the bad city. You're the good part of town, I'm in the bad part of town. Why, why are you interacting with me? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than, the, than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. He says, listen, that water may take care of you for the moment, that physical water, but I have something so much greater to offer you. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you are now, now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has come when we when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and the worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one you speak into, I am he. And as the rest of the story goes, she goes and tells other people her testimony. And lives are changed. So much to learn in this text. So much to learn. I, I don't have the time to completely break it down and give it all to you. But I want us to discover four reasons why I see Jesus as the greatest evangelist as you look at this text. You see, first of all, Jesus cared for people. You say, well, how does he know he cared for people just by reading that story? Listen, Jesus was worn out from the travel. He's exhausted from days of doing ministry, preaching and teaching and healing and going from town to town, and he's exhausted. And I could imagine that he gets by this well and thinks, I'm going to sit down and just kind of take a break. The disciples have gone on to get us some food. They'll take care of us. I just want to be left alone. You know what that's like. You get home from a long day's work. You're exhausted, and you say, what do I want to do? I want to sit down and put my feet up. I want to lay back on the couch. I want to go take a nap. Everyone in the house, just leave me alone. Trust me, you can ask my kids. I'm the worst. When I take a little nap and they wake me up, man, I'm grumpy and grouchy. I'm not, not kind to be around. And some of you are right there with me. You're like, I understand that. Jesus, like, don't, Jesus could have been, don't bother me. What does he do, though? This woman comes up by him, and he engages in a conversation with her. He could have chose. No, I see her. I'm ignoring her. I'm closing my eyes right now. It's, it, it's hot out here. Middle of the day. Hot as part of the day. He could have chose that and said, man, I, I, no, I'm not talking to her. She's a woman. I can't speak to her. He could have chose that. And in that culture, that would have been acceptable. But he, he takes the time to care. 
because he knows that he is going to go to the cross and die and to bring salvation. And he knew, I've got to meet this woman. I have an opportunity right now to tell her who I am. I've got to speak up. I, I, I want to rest. I'm tired. I don't really want to talk. I'm hungry. They went to get us food. I, I got to fill my belly first. Let me get my nap. And, and I'll just talk to maybe the next person. But what does he do? Engages in a conversation. Why? Because he cares. No other reason. He cares more about her than he does his rest. He cares more about her than his belly that is hungry. He cares more about her than the fact that she's a lady and he's a man. He cares so much, he says, let's have a conversation. You also see in this that Jesus crossed boundaries. See, for Jesus to be talking to this woman went against all social standards of his time. Women were part of the lower class society in that culture. They weren't accepted to be on equal standards as a man. And for a man to engage with a woman would have been looked down upon. It would have been a a thing that's not accepted in our society. And matter of fact, in that society, there have been a lot of whispering going on, a lot of rumors going on. But not only that barrier of the, of the gender barrier, but she was a Samaritan. He was a Jew. Two totally different belief systems. Two totally different cultures. And he crosses the culture, crosses the belief system, crosses the gender divide. Why? To share the gospel to bring hope, to say you need to know who I am. And so he crosses that gender divide. He crosses the, the social divide. He, he, he doesn't care that she's kind of from the bad neighborhood, so to speak, or she's from the other side of track, so to speak, or she's not in his culture. He don't care about any of that. He knows exactly what could happen. He knows about the whispering. He knows about the rumors. You know about the, the finger pointing that people could come upon. And he, he blows it all up and says, I don't care because she needs to know hope. She needs to know who I am, and I care so much. I'll cross all these boundaries, all these divides. I'll go right on through them to have a conversation, and then we see that he connects on a personal basis. See, the woman at the well, she's very messed up, very messed up. She's a sin-filled woman. He even addresses the fact that she has five husbands. What he's saying is you're a promiscuous woman. You've had a lot of different men that you have lied with, laid with, and you've laid with them in a sexual relationship that doesn't honor God, doesn't honor his word, doesn't honor the culture. He knows all about that, and he connects with her on his personal relationship. You know why she's going at noontime to draw water? You would never go in that culture at the noontime, at the hottest part of the day, to go draw water and have to carry it back. They always did that in the very early morning, cool of the morning, or the cool of the evening. She does that because she knows she's filled with sin, and she doesn't want to be seen by people or have people point fingers at her or people tell her that she's a bad, awful woman. So she goes in the middle of the day when the crowds would have been very few so she can hopefully sneak in there in the middle of the day, get some water, deal with the heat, but not deal with the heat of the people. And Jesus is sitting there. He doesn't condemn her. He, he, he doesn't ignore her. He doesn't have the thought of, man, she's awful filled with sin. I better not dare talk to her. Oh, I'm going to get some of that on me if I get around her. He didn't have any of those kinds of thoughts. Another text, another one of the Gospels dealing with this story, there's a conversation that takes place, and he just tells her, now go and participate in the sin no more. Go and get away from it. Go and get away from it. He just start pointing out, oh, you're such an awful, terrible, horrible woman because you're filled with the sin. You know, we're all guilty. 
We're all guilty. Every single one of us. And Jesus says, now you've met me. There's a better way to live. Go and sin no more. Go choose a different way of living. And so he enters in this relationship where he connects on a very personal relationship to have a very personal conversation, and he communicates the good news with her. Very clearly, very plainly, very boldly. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's offering it to you, then you would ask. If you knew what I'm offering you, you'd be asking me. That's what, what we need to tell people. We need to tell people, do you know the gift of God? Do you, do you know the hope that there is in Jesus Christ? We have eternal life for them in our hands. Think, think about that for a moment. What we hold, church, is a hope that is beyond hope. We hold eternal life in the hands of of people, and God uses us to tell one person to another person, another person, who Jesus is. And he knows that she needs eternal life, that she needs hope. She, she is broken, and she is hurting, and she is dealing with her sin, and he gives her hope. Now, now this is just one account. This is just one account in Scripture that shows us the heart of Jesus when it comes to reaching lost people who are without hope, who are facing eternity that is separated from God. He takes the time to care. And we got to ask the question then, do I really care about people? Are people a nuisance to me? Are people an interruption in my schedule? Do, do I really care, even when they come at sometimes the times that are most inconvenient, do I really care. She crosses, he crosses the boundaries. Are, are, are we willing to go across boundaries, across cultural boundaries, across language boundaries, across boundaries that this world even puts in front of us? Are we willing to go across those boundaries? Are you willing to go across sin boundaries? See, sometimes, church, we're just so guilty of not entering into people's lives because of sin. Well, I know they participate in. I know they're part of. I know that they do. And so what do we do? Instead of going and meeting them and caring about them, we just don't participate. We stay away. You know, I don't know anyone who ever come to Christ by us pointing our fingers at them and tell them everything they've done wrong. Heard a guy speaking yesterday. He said they already know what they're doing wrong. Don't you? I mean, in our own lives... We, we know where we're wrong at. In our own lives, we, we know the sin. You, you don't need someone to come and tell you, oh, man, you're drinking way too much. Oh, you're cussing too much. Oh, no, you're watching this. We know that in our own lives. People need hope. People need to know who Jesus is. And so Jesus communicates and connects with her on this relational level and says, here, there's hope. And he tells her the gospel. See, I think it's great. We must look at the life of Jesus. We need to see what he did, and then we need to say, okay, how am I doing, and how can I do better? However, I think there's a still a big, big, big question when it comes to this topic of evangelism, and that question is how? How can we get there? How can I as an individual, how can we as a church, how can we get there where we live out this principle of Jesus? How, do we, how will the work of evangelism actually get accomplished through me? Let me talk to you on that topic for a brief moment here. One is we have to come to the point that we'll obey the mission that Jesus has given us. Look at Matthew 28. Jesus came and said to them, he's talking to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching to observe and obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, you look at that, that is not known as the great suggestion. 
It's not, church. It's not known as the great verse of Scripture to debate. It's not known as that. It's not the great option that I get to choose. It's the great commission. And he gave that commission to his disciples, which his disciples then passed on through time. And we as Christians, I asked you at the very beginning, are you a Christian? If you wrote yes on that piece of paper, this verse is for you. It's for us. That we are to go into the whole world to preach, to teach, to baptize. In other words, we're to evangelize the whole world. Are you obedient to that? Are we obedient to that? Or is that a verse that we read it and we go, yeah, that looks good, but you know what, man, that was given to those disciples. Oh, and you know what? That's the preacher's job. Brian, you do that. that that's not written to me. No, no, no. That, that's written to people who are really gifted at doing that. That's just for those extra special people who have extra great talent, and they do that work. You know, those are all smoke screens that Satan has put in our mind. I don't know enough. It's not really for me. It was really for the disciples. No, those are all lies from the evil one that gets us to be paralyzed and stop as a church from doing our work. If we're going to accomplish the work, we have to realize that God has given us a mission and we have to choose to be obedient. You know, obedience is completely a choice. Any area of life, it's completely a choice. And we have free will. Aren't you glad we have free will? Aren't you glad we're not puppets on a string? We have free will, and God says, here's the mission. Are you going to participate and do your part? Secondly, we must pray for workers. Matthew 9, Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. In other words, there's a whole lot of people around who are ready to hear the message of the gospel. They're out in the fields, they're out in the neighborhoods, they're out in the communities, they're out in the workplaces, and we're supposed to pray that God would raise up workers. Lord, would you raise up preachers? Lord, would you raise up missionaries? Lord, would you raise up people that would go? And sometimes we pray that prayer, and that's where we stop. May I suggest we need to pray, Lord, raise me up. God, do something inside of me. God, create in me a new heart. Lord, I should be one of the workers. Yes, we want to pray. We want to pray that God would raise up workers, that God would raise up people who will go and people who will share the gospel message. But we should pray, Lord, make me a worker. Many times we get stuck because of the excuses, because of the smoke screens. I was just saying, Lord, blow those up in my mind. Lord, help me to overcome my fear. Lord, help me to overcome my doubt. Lord, help me to be a worker in your field that you'll look down and say, man, there's one of my workers who's, who's walking in Jesus by the power of the Spirit, doing the best that he or she can carry the message of the gospel. We pray for that for others, but we pray for that not only for others, but for ourselves. Thirdly, we got to communicate the truth. We cannot get weak on the truth, church. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In our culture, those are not friendly words, are they? In our culture, they say, oh, you're, you're, you're so closed-minded, or, or you're a bigot, or there's got to be more in one way, you know. I understand you believe in Jesus, and that's good for you, but I believe in this, and someone else believes in this. And don't all these different directions all lead to heaven? Again, if you're a Christ follower and you're a Christian and you believe in the Scriptures as the all-authority for our lives, then no, not all ways do lead to heaven. There's one way. 
And that one way is Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. Those are not Brian's words. Those are Jesus' words. And church, that's the truth that we must carry into this world. We carry that truth that there is one way. His name is Jesus Christ. And that is the only way that when you submit to his leadership, to his lordship in your life, you give your life to him. You believe in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Then you say, you know what? I'm help communicate that. I'm going to help tell other people who Jesus is. Number four is you rely on the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the very end of the earth. He's telling his disciples, listen, I'm giving you the task. You're getting this thing started, and you're going to go all over the world, and you're going to start spreading this gospel, and it's going to spread all over the world, and it's going to change lives for years and years to come. And he says, but you don't have to do it by yourself. Have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Now, Holy Spirit's going to help you. When you're fearful, the Holy Spirit's going to help you overcome your fear. When you say, I don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit will help you overcome and, and know what to say. When you're just unsure, the, the Holy Spirit will give you the strength so you can be sure. I mean, we all can have all those kinds of excuses. How many times have you said, when you have an opportunity maybe to share the gospel or you're invited to, you say, I can't? We've all been guilty. The time that we say, I can't, we should stop ourselves and confess, Lord, I am sorry. I said I can't, and I don't want to have that attitude. I don't want to have that mindset. Lord, because your Holy Spirit lives inside of me, just as Acts 1.8 says, and because your Holy Spirit lives inside of me, we can say, I can. I can share the gospel with my neighbor. I can share the gospel with a friend. I can share the gospel with a coworker. Some of you don't know this because there's kind of a, uh, a trial work going on here at Centerpoint. I, I would say trial, just an effort with uh, Steve DeVries. I see Steve sitting over here and, and Nick Zagaruka in first service. For the last, uh, I don't know, several weeks, they've been saying, let's figure out what it looks like to go knock on doors again. Now, some would say, knocking on door, door-to-door ministry, people don't receive that. They're not open to that. Matter of fact, I probably lean towards that myself, going, ah, are we really sure about that? Does that work in 2019? And Steve and I have debated that a little bit. And they said, Brian, let us just try to experiment with that and let us figure it out. And then at some point, we'll start inviting other people in the church to do that. And so they've been going to the neighborhood next door. They've been going down to the apartments and down to the duplex down here, knocking on doors on Saturday morning, and just a very kindly uh, greeting and a good morning and starting to have conversations. They've had a chance to pray with some people. They've had a chance to, to even guide some people towards Christ. And, and they've had some people say no. Steve was sharing yesterday at a breakfast, and he said, uh, you know what's really interesting? Every time I go to the door, I'm nervous about that. I'm unsure about that. And, it, and, and I go to that door, and I know, though, I have the Spirit of God living inside me. I have the Holy Spirit. And the cool thing is I knock on that door, and I never know what's on the other side. And Nick said, you know what? No one's ever come chasing us off the property. No one's ever shot at us. No one's ever yelled at us. We've had some people say no, not interested. Some doors not get answered. And they've gone back again. Why? Because they have inside of them this huge desire that they're answering this call that God told us to go. What are we waiting on? And some of you all may say, you know what? Man, I want to know more about that. Steve DeVries or... Nick Zagarugo would love to talk with you. And they're going to start growing that and, and seeing, can we just kind of go and eventually maybe adopt even a neighborhood? That's, that's what we're talking about is how can we maybe take a neighborhood and just adopt it and say, that's our neighborhood. We're going to get to know those neighbors. We're going to pray for those neighbors. Because who knows their neighbors anymore? 
Could you even name your neighbors that live on the right and live on the left and neighbors across the street or neighbors share apart? Do you even know them? We as a church should know our neighbors in neighborhoods right here, our neighbors. And Jesus says, I will empower you with the Holy Spirit. So if we're going to go and we're going to be great evangelists like Jesus did, we've got to trust in the Holy Spirit's work inside of our lives. And then fifthly, we've got to be willing to preach the good news. Romans 10 how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. You know, Jesus has already sent us. It's Matthew 28. He sent us with our commission, and he says, you go out and you preach. Now, I know sometimes you hear that word and you think, well, Brian, I can't do what you're doing. You're, you're preaching. All preaching is is telling somebody else the good news of Jesus. And you can preach one-on-one. You can preach to a coworker. You can preach to a mom or a dad or a sister or a brother. You can share your life in Jesus with somebody else one-on-one. Every single one of us in this room can do this. Every single one of us can open our mouth and tell somebody the good news of Jesus. Now, let me give you something with that when it comes to preaching or sharing the good news. Let me tell you two questions that we, the church, need to stop asking people in our culture today. One is we need to stop asking people, where do you go to church? Many times we think, well, I'll open the conversation and ask them, where do they go to church? Do you realize that in central Kentucky, probably 95% of people will come up with a name and say, well, I go to church here. I go to church ABC. I go to church down the street. I go to first this, second that, third this. And we say, well, I go to church. And we go, okay, I did my gospel thing. I asked them where they go to church. Woo, that one's off of me. I don't have to go any further. And they're going to church may mean they show up once a year. They may show up every other year. And going to church doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't. And so we got to stop asking that question. Quit asking people, where do you go to church? That's our lazy, easy way out of doing evangelism. The other question we got to stop asking people is, are you a Christian? Because people define that all over the place. Are you a Christian? Well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Ninety-some percent of people in America would claim they're a Christian. And if that's true, then why is America so messed up? Because we're not really Christians. There's a lot of people who say, I'm a Christian, but they don't know what that means. Maybe a Christian in title, but they have no idea that that means that if you say, I'm a Christian, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but he is the Lord and the leader of my life. I submit to his lordship. That means I don't just play games with this. And so let me ask you to rephrase the question and go boldly to ask people differently. Can I ask you a very personal question? Say that to a coworker. Say that to a mom or a dad. Say it to a friend. Say it to a son. Say it to a daughter. Say it to a grandma or a grandpa. Say it to the neighbor who you've been neighbors next to for 10, 15 years, 20 years. Just ask them, can I ask you a very personal question? I've never had anybody say to me, no, you can't ask me a personal question. No way. They usually say, yeah, go ahead and ask. And just ask the question, can you tell me who Jesus is to you? Can you tell me who Jesus is to you? You just rephrase the whole conversation. See, if they're really Christians, they'll be able to answer that very clearly and very succinctly, and they'll be able to give you examples of here's what Jesus is, and that conversation, then the Holy Spirit guides that of where that goes. Some people may tell you, I don't really know. 
I've heard of Jesus. I know he's in the history books. I know he's known as a good man. I know he's done some good stuff. And there's your open door. Can we get together and we talk some more about who Jesus is? Would you be open to that? I would love to tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. I'd love to tell you what Jesus means to me. So you're not beating the door down on me, buddy. You're not, you're not beating on their house. You're not, you're not knocking over head of the Bible. You're not doing anything that they wouldn't receive. That's a very fair question. Can we just have a discussion about who Jesus is to you? And what Jesus did is Jesus took the time to care first. See, when you care about people, we make a personal connection as Jesus made a per- personal connection. See, a Steve and Nick are going door to door. They don't just come in just knocking the door down. They go and start caring about people. Hey, we're here in the neighborhood. We want to know how you're doing. We want to know, can we pray for you? Start making a connection. And then they get to the questions that are more involved and talk to people about the relationship with Jesus. We can do that. Are you willing? Are, are you willing to cross over the divide of maybe it's a gender issue you're having? Are you willing to cross over the divide of, of the cultural issue or someone has, speaks a different language or someone has a, a different skin color than you? Are you willing to cross over that? That's what Jesus did. Jesus blew all that up. Jesus said, I don't care what our culture says. I don't care what they're going to say about me. I'm going to tell them about the hope that they need to know that I'm bringing to this world. That means in your workplace, when, you say, when I hear people say, Brian, there's no way I can talk about Jesus in my work. I lose my job. Jesus would say, so be it. He would. He would say, you then speak the name of Jesus and you trust that I have another job for you around the corner. I'll pay your bill. I'll make sure your job's taken care of. That Because we're in that avenue. Oh, I can't dare share Jesus with a neighbor because then they're going to think I'm weird and I'm crazy. I'm some kind of Jesus freak. Well, so be it. Take the time to care about them. You know how you care about your neighbor? Invite them over to your house. Invite them over to your house. Hey, I'm going to grill out some burgers. I'm going to have some hot dogs. Why don't you come over? Let's get to know each other. You start caring about your neighbor. Start caring about your neighbor when you see that uh, they need some help with the, the lawn work in their house or, or they've been sick and you take a bowl of soup over to them or you take some cookies over to them. You just take time to care about your neighbor. And when you care, then you can say, hey, can I ask you a very personal question? You get to the personal question and then you sit back and you go, all right, Holy Spirit, I'm trusting you. You, you, you do the work that's in, in me. Now, now, I told you this message is for Christians. Church, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to be obedient? Are we willing to follow what Jesus did and say, you know what, we're going to do that as a church? Let, let me wrap up this morning with a little demonstration. This was done many years ago when I was sitting in a sermon. Someone did this, and I sat and I just looked at it. Because, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? I looked at that, and it just spoke to me so much about what evangelism is. Let, let me ask you. How many of you today are in Christ? You, you believe in Jesus, your Savior, because a mom or dad shared Jesus with you. If that's the case, would you stand up? Mom or dad shared Jesus with you. How many of you are, are, are maybe in Christ because a grandparent shared Jesus with you? Grandma, grandpa, maybe a great-grandpa, grandma, grandpa, something like that. Maybe a grandparent. How, how about maybe you're in Christ because a spouse, a husband or a wife, introduce you to Jesus, share Jesus with you. Okay? How about, how many of you are in here because a friend, a friend was willing to introduce you to Jesus, invite you to church, say, okay, come on with me. Come on, you got to know Jesus. Okay, maybe I'm not thinking of all the relationship. Who else is in here just because of a relationship, a personal relationship that you know someone said, hey, let me introduce you to Jesus. Would you stand up for a moment?
And now, not everybody is standing up. I don't know the percentage here. I would say about 90% of the people are standing up. Maybe you're not standing up because I didn't cover your area. Maybe you're not standing up. You say, well, I was watching television one night, and I heard the preacher. And right there, I fell to the ground on my knees and gave my life to Jesus. That's true. It happens, people. Maybe it was all someone gave me this book, and I was just reading this book. And right there, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. There's some other ways that people come to Jesus. But do you notice something here? 90% of this room is standing up. Why? Because of a personal relationship. One person telling another person. Mom and dad telling a daughter. Maybe it's a son or daughter telling her mom or dad. Maybe it's a grandma and grandpa saying, I'm going to take you to church so you know who Jesus is. Maybe it was a coworker. But Jesus is spread primarily church, one person telling another person who Jesus is. Are we willing to do that? That's what we're supposed to be doing as a church. That's what our call is. That's what the gospel is call is. And so church, as we go on this journey asking what's next, this is something we've got to get really good at. You look around, there's rooftops everywhere around us, is there not? From apartments to duplexes to more homes being built, God has planted us here, church, to take the message of the gospel to the city and change communities by people being introduced to Jesus.